Chapter Three of Marjorie Dean, High School Junior by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Three The Shield of Valor. A chorus of O's and R's ascended as the guests filed into a dining room the decoration of which spelled patriotism in large capitals. In honour of the pretty soldier play to which she and Mary had so long clung, Marjorie had decreed that the dinner should be a patriotic affair so far as decorations went. The walls of the large attractive room were plentifully festooned with red, white and blue bunting flags were in evidence everywhere from the centre of the large oak table a large doll dressed as uncle sam held gallantly aloft the tri-coloured ribbons that extended to each place on one side of him stood a smaller doll dressed in the khaki uniform of the united states soldier on the other a valiant jackie stood guard at each cover was a small soldier doll and the place cards were tiny folded silk flags each guest's name written in one of the stripes of white uppermost mary occupied the seat of honour at the head of the table with marjorie at her right and constance at her left but at the departing lieutenant's place rose an amazing pile of tissue-paper-wrapped, be-ribboned bundles that smacked of Christmas. "'Company, attention!' called Mrs. Dean from the foot of the table the instant the party had seated themselves. "'Lieutenant Raymond, you are ordered to inspect your wealth before mess.' "'I—oh—' stammered the abashed lieutenant regarding said wealth in stupefaction all those things are not really for me open them and see directed marjorie her face radiant with unselfish happiness every one of them holds an original poetic message none of us knows what the other wrote you are to read them in a loud voice and satisfy our curiosity now hurry up and begin under a battery of smiling faces mary slowly undid a good-sized square bundle with slightly shaking fingers she drew forth a white box when opened it displayed several sizes of notepaper and envelopes bearing her monogram in silver picking up a card she steadied her voice and read you say of course i'll surely write but when you've travelled out of sight this nice white box may then remind you of jerry macy far behind you i truly will write to you jerry thank you mary beamed affectionately on the stout girl it's a lovely present and my own monogram too see that you do nodded jerry gruffly she loved to give, but she did not relish being thanked. Next, smilingly ordered Marjorie, 
if you don't hurry up and open them we shall all starve the next package disclosed a dainty little leather combination purse and vanity case from muriel harding with the succinct advice don't lose your ticket or your money to be stone broke is far from funny when wicked cinders seek your eye consult your mirror on the sly after muriel had been thanked and her practical poetic advice lauded mary went on with her delightful investigation an oblong bundle turned out to be a box of nut chocolates from susan who offered in time of homesick tribulation turn to this toothsome consolation to eat it will be amusing here's a sweet farewell from giggling susan giggling susan's effort brought forth a ripple of giggles from all sides that's my present squealed charlie as mary fingered a tiny package ornamented with a huge red bow it's a shh warned constance placing prompt fingers on the two willing lips mary cast the child a tender glance as she glimpsed a tiny leather violin case partially obscured by a card in this instance it was uncle john roland who had played poet after receiving charlie's somewhat garbled instructions regarding the sentiment say it's loud as you can commanded the excited youngster mary complied reading in a purposely loud tone that must have been intensely gratifying to the diminutive giver once when away from home i ran to play my fiddle in the band you cummed and finded me and then i never ran away again so now i'm always nice and good and do as connie says i should and cause you're going to run away you'd better write to me some day inside the little fiddle box there is a fountain pen that talks on paper it's for you from me the great musician your friend c as mary read the last line she slipped from her place to charlie and kissed the gleeful upturned face you darling boy she quavered mary won't forget to write mine's the best of all observed charlie with modest frankness as he enthusiastically returned the kiss back in her place again mary finished the affectionate inspection of the tokens her friends had taken so much pleasure in giving there was a book from harriet a folded metal drinking cup in a leather case from esther lynde a hand-embroidered pin and needle case from irma a pair of soft dark blue leather slippers from constance and a wonderful japanese silk kimono from mrs dean the remembrances had all been selected as first aids to mary during her long journey across the country with each one went a humorous verse composed with more or less effort on the part of the givers but one package now remained to be opened its diminutive size and shape hinted that it might have come from the jewellers mary knew it to be marjorie's farewell token to her 
she would have liked to examine it in private. She was almost sure that she was going to cry. She thrust back the inclination, however, flashing a tender, wavering smile at her chum as she untied the silver cord that bound the box. It bore the name of a Sanford jeweller, and when the lid was off, revealed a round gold monogrammed locket, gleaming dully against its pale blue silk bed. In a tiny circular groove of the box was a fine-grained gold chain. Mary's changeful face registered many emotions as she took the locket in her hands and stared at it in silence. Acting on a swift, overwhelming impulse, she sprang mutely from her chair and rushed out of the room. Marjorie half rose from her place, then sat down again. "'Lieutenant will come back soon,' she said fondly. "'She hasn't really deserted from the army. "'She's only taken a tiny leave of absence.' I remember just how I felt when some of the boys and girls of Franklin High gave me a surprise party. That was the night this came to me. She patted the butterfly pin that had figured so prominently in her freshman year at Sanford. I almost cried like a baby. I remember that the whole table blurred while Mary was making a speech to me about my beautiful pin. Marjorie talked on with the kindly object of centering the guest's attention on herself until Mary should return. Meanwhile, in the living room, Mary Raymond was engaged in the double task of trying to suppress her tears and open the locket at the same time. Her eyes brimming, she worked at the refractory gold catch with insistent fingers. Opened at last, she beheld Marjorie's lovely face smiling out at her. On the inside of the upper half of the locket was engraved, Mary from Marjorie. Below was the beautiful Spanish phrase, para siempre, literally translated for always, but meaning forever. Within a brief space of time, following her flight, the runaway reappeared, her eyelids slightly pink. "'I hope you will all pardon me,' she apologised prettily. "'I... I couldn't help it. You've been so sweet to me. I can't ever thank you, as you deserve to be thanked, for giving me so many lovely things. The very ones I shall need most when I'm travelling. I'm sure you must know how dear you all are to me, dearer even than my Franklin High friends. I hope each one of you will write to me. I truly try hard not only to be a good correspondent, but always to be worthy of your friendship. Mary's earnest words met ready responses of good fellowship from those whom she had once scorned. Everything was so different now. The new Mary Raymond was an entire opposite to the sullen-faced young person who had once flouted all overtures of friendship on the part of Marjorie's particular cronies. Beyond an eloquent hand-clasp and, My picture locket is wonderful, Lieutenant, 
thank you over and over. Mary had reserved further expression of her appreciation until the two chums should be entirely by themselves. The delightful dinner ended with a general distribution of fancy cracker bonbons, which the guests snapped open with a will to find cunning caps representing the flags of various nations. They donned these with alacrity and trooped into the living room for an evening of stunts in which music played an important part. Constance lifted up her exquisite voice untiringly, weaving her magic spell about her eager listeners. Jerry sang a comic song, mostly off-key, merely to prove the impossibility of her vocal powers. Charlie Stevens, who had trustfully tugged his faithful fiddle along, insisted on rendering a solo of anguishing shrieks and squawks, assuming the majestic mien of a virtuoso. He took himself so seriously that no one dared laugh, although the desire to do so was throttled with difficulty. Susan was prevailed upon to perform a scarf dance, her one accomplishment using a strip of red, white and blue bunting with graceful effect. Harriet Delaney also sang a ballad, and Esther Lind offered a beautiful Swedish folk song she had learned from her father, who had sung it as a boy in far-off Scandinavia. When the small repertoire of soloists had been exhausted, everyone turned to with Constance at the piano and made the living room ring with school songs. Just before the farewell party broke up, the doorbell rang. Its loud, insistent peal brought a significant exchange of glances in which Mary alone did not share. Mrs. Dean hurried into the hall, a moment and she returned to the living room, escorting Delia, whose broad, homely face was wreathed in smiles. She advanced toward Mary, holding out a goodly sheaf of letters. "'Special delivery, Miss Mary,' she announced. "'May yous have many of the same.' She made a little bobbing bow as Mary took them, bestowed a friendly grin on the company and waddled out. I don't understand. Mary seemed overcome by this fresh surprise. Are they all for me? They're your railway comforts, Lieutenant, laughed Marjorie. There's a letter from each of us. You can read one a day. There are enough to reach Denver and a few thrown in to cure the blues after you get there. "'so you see we won't let you forget us.' "'It's the nicest reminder I could possibly have. "'I don't need a single thing to make me remember you, though. "'You're all here, in my heart, to stay as long as I live.' "'Mary had never appeared more sweetly appealing than she looked now, "'as her clear tones voiced her inner sentiments. "'You're a nice girl.' "'approved Charlie Stevens. "'If I ever grow to be as tall as you, Mary Raymond, "'I'll be married to you and you can play in the band too. "'Uncle John will buy you a fiddle. 
This calm disposal of Mary's future drove sentiment to the winds. Unconsciously, little Charlie had sounded a merry note just in time to lift the pall which is always bound to hang over a company devoted to the saying of farewells. At eleven o'clock, Mary and Marjorie accompanied their guests to the gate, the latter avowing their intention to be at the station the following morning to see Mary off on her journey. The two girls strolled back to the house, under the stairs, their arms entwined about each other's waists. "'We had a beautiful evening, Lieutenant. How I wish General could have been here. I hate to go away without saying good-bye to him,' sighed Mary. "'I'm sorry, too. I wish he could always be at home. He has to be away from Sanford and home so much.' Marjorie echoed Mary's sigh. Brightening, she said, "'I've another dear surprise for you, though. "'Come up to my house and I'll give it to you. "'It's his farewell message. "'He wanted you to have it the very last thing tonight.' "'We are going upstairs, Captain,' called Mary "'as they passed through the living room. "'Want to come?' "'Later,' returned Mrs. Dean.' She was too good a commander to intrude upon the last precious moments of confidence her little army still had left to them. Marjorie marched Mary to the pink and white window seat and playfully ordered, Sit down and fold your hands like a nice obedient lieutenant. Shut your eyes and don't open them until I say so. Tripping gleefully to the chiffonier, she opened the top drawer, bringing forth a small package and a square white envelope. Tucking them into Mary's folded hands, she said, First you may open your eyes, then you must open your presents. I haven't the least idea what's in the package or what the letter says. General mailed them to me from Boston. Two pairs of eyes, bright with affectionate curiosity, bent themselves eagerly on the little quaintly enamelled box, which Mary hastily unwrapped. "'Oh!' was the concerted exclamation. On a white satin pad lay an exquisitely dainty gold pin. It was in the form of a shield." Across the top winked three small jewels set in a row, a ruby, a diamond and a sapphire. Three cheers for red, white and blue,' sang Marjorie, dropping down beside Mary and hugging her enthusiastically. "'Do read this letter, Lieutenant. We'll rave about this cunning pin afterward. Oh, I forgot. Perhaps General didn't mean me to know what he wrote.' "'Of course he did,' flung back Mary loyally. "'We'll read it together.' Tearing open the envelope, she unfolded the letter and read aloud. "'Beloved Lieutenant, "'you are going away to a far country on a long hike, "'and as it is the duty of every good general "'to look to the welfare of his soldiers,' I am sending you the magic shield of valour to protect you in time of need. 
it is a token of honour for a brave lieutenant who fought a memorable battle and won the victory against heavy odds it is a magic shield in that it offers protection only to the soldier who has met and worsted the giant self it was wrought from the priceless metal of golden deeds and set with the eyes of endurance truth and constancy no enemy however deadly can prevail against it it is a talisman the wearing of which must bring honour and peace dear little comrade may happiness visit you in your new barracks let the bugle call on duty find you marching head up colours flying until taps sound at the close of each busy day though you have answered the call to a new post your general hopes with all his heart that you will some day hurry back to your regiment in sanford to receive the sword of captaincy and the enthusiastic welcome of your brother officers may all good go with you loyally general dean mary's voice trailed away into a silence that outrivalled mere speech the two girls sat staring at the jewelled token before them as though fearing to break the spell their general's message had evoked. "'Isn't it queer?' came from Mary. "'I don't feel a bit like crying. "'When all the nice things happened to me downstairs I wanted to cry. "'But this letter and my wonderful shield of valour make me feel different.' as though I'd like to march out and conquer the world. Marjorie's red lips curved into a tender smile as she took the pin from the box and fastened it to the folds of lace where Mary's gown fell away at the throat. That's because it is a true talisman, she reminded softly. We never knew when long ago we played being soldiers just for fun that we were only getting ready to be soldiers in earnest. End of chapter 3 Recording by Ashley Jane